Welcome to Digital Health Talks. Each week, we meet with the healthcare leaders making a measurable difference in equity, access, and quality. Hear about what tech is worth investing in and what isn't as we focus on the innovations that deliver. Join me, Megan Antonelli, and my friend, Shahid Shah, for our weekly No BS Deep Dives into what's really making an impact in healthcare. Welcome back to Health Impact. We have a well, awesome guest joining us today. I've known uh, Dr. Nair for a long time, Dr. G. And I think we actually met back in, in Miami at, at one of our first health impacts a long time ago. And um, she's a true healthcare dynamo and a beacon of knowledge and innovation. Most recently, the chief medical officer at Salesforce. Before that, AT&T does a lot of work with University of Miami as well as a lot of other organizations. Sought after speaker as well as a prolific writer. And one of the reasons we invited her today is because she has a new book called Dead Wrong, Diagnosing and Treating Healthcare's Misinformation Illness. Dr. G, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. And you look terrific. Wonderful <laughs> to see you again. <laughs> it is good to see you. It's funny. We're doing more and more of these now. And it is, it's a great, it's great to catch up. I mean, at least for these where we get to catch up in front of an audience. It's awesome. That's but, awesome. Um, and, and I have to say, we're definitely further apart than the first time we met, right? From Barcelona to New I know. So. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm just here at Old Hermosa Beach, but Barcelona must be lovely this time of year. It, is, it really is. Awesome. Well, so tell me, misinformation is one of my hot topics. It's something that I get very passionate about with my sort of background in public health. And public health, it's always been a little bit tough in terms of communication, right? They do all the work, they do all the research, they get all the science, but then that last piece with the communication can be really tough. And you talk about it in the book around what happened with the AIDS epidemic and certainly what we've seen with the pandemic. But frame it for us now in terms of patient care and outcomes in today's healthcare setting. Sure. So look, misinformation and disinformation is not new. It has been around since the Spanish flu, since the plague, since HIV AIDS, and since, since COVID, right? You don't have to look too far to your neighbor, to your hairdresser. Everyone's got a supplement they're selling or ginger and turmeric, which will heal everything. So the important thing is we recognize that as an industry. And now with the advent of artificial intelligence, of TikTok, of EHRs, we have all this opportunity to really scale good information and scale a trusted patient-physician relationship. The question is, making it a priority and how do you exactly do that? But that's really the call to action in the book. It is very much a post-pandemic look at what we learned, what we knew, but now the question is with all of this technology, where do we complement the human factor and keep an eye on that relationship between the doctor and the patient? Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, what do we do? I mean, the technology is there, the genie is out of the bottle, so to speak. It's going to be hard. How do we both educate and get that trusted word out there? Well, look, the first thing is to remember that this is the priority. Healthcare at the end of the day is a services business. So people are coming for advice. They're coming for information. They're co coming for personalized health information and then presumably personalized treatment or, or prescriptions. So, so understanding your business, number one. And then number two, look, we need technology. In the era of physician burnout, in the era of, of staff shortages, we certainly need technology to scale. But it's really important that we focus the automation on the things that should be automated, like the back end, the administrative burden, 
every doctor wants to practice at the top of their license and every patient is coming to them for that reason. So it's really important, especially as we talk about AI, that we're focusing on that administrative part, right? And we're leaving the communication, we're leaving that human factor to the human. And we also have to remember social media is, is not a trend. It's not just for those kids. It's here to say, it's the way we communicate and it really inspires a following. And so when we don't scale our physician voices or our trusted healthcare voices in the absence of them, we have misfits and we have people that are profiting off of all kinds of supplements and all kinds of advice, but they inspire a following. And so in the absence of that digital presence, it's absence. And so we now have to also reflect whether you're a payer, whether you're a pharmacist, whether you're a provider, that gap needs to be closed. I talk about Cleveland Clinic in my book and how beautifully they scaled communication, how beautifully marketing worked with clinical, and they really scaled that clinical competency, which is their core, with them, their marketing engine, and they partnered with YouTube, and they owned the social media presence, but with real doctors giving real advice, inspiring a real following. And guess what? Their revenue showed it. Patient acquisition went up, patient retention and brand loyalty increased. So it's not just the right thing to do. It is a smart business choice if you're thinking very smart and across silos. Marketing and clinical have to be connected, not separated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I know you have, you in, in terms of all the voices in the book, you have Dr. Megan Rainey, and she, of course, was a beacon of information during the pandemic and does a lot, and, and even before that, on gun control and public health and things. So but I wonder, I mean, in that we are putting so much on our clinicians, they are burnt out, as you said, are, are, is that putting more on them? I mean, are we asking them to do more? Is it, okay, now you actually have to manage social or how, how do we help them with that? So again, it's not to give the physicians more to do. It's a call to action and healthcare leadership. So if you're the CEO, if you're the chief marketing officer, chief medical officer, your digital transformation strategy has to help physicians just be physicians. Right. Marketing and communications, Cleveland Clinic, it was marketing that lead, led that entire effort. They right. just had the doctors be the doctors, turned on a camera, and they did everything else. So it's really all about letting the doctors just be doctors, which in this day and age is actually a lot and it's actually what physicians really want. But it's really allowing the team around them to support that. Right. So marketing and communications is a whole separate function, but just understanding that it's back to the science, back to the clinical. Mm -hmm. IT, same thing. Ultimately, the end user is, is the patient and the physician. So understanding that and allowing the technology to be invisible as opposed to interfering in the doctor-patient relationship, that is absolutely the name of the game. It is not to give doctors more. It is actually to give them less and to let them authentically be what they were trained to be. Right. Because in some way, if the message is out there, if the education is out there, they don't have to overcome. They have less to overcome. If the, if the organization that supports them by overcoming the misinformation or being a louder Correct. voice than that, then they're speaking the truth. And at the end of every misinformation train is a physician in the emergency room. At the end of the day, the doctors are left to clean it up. The payers are left to pay for it. And we as taxpayers are also left to pay for it. So it all comes back, right? It's all a little bit karmic. But remember, the, the doctors don't need to be the ones tweeting, right? They don't need to be the ones putting the content out there to the extent that they are knowledge resources and communicating that, which is their entire job every day. And then marketing is putting that together and putting that entire social media strategy behind the scene to empower that voice, right? And then the way, and then the CIO is and the CTO is putting together the products, 
this the IT roadmap that then enables the patient to not just find the content, but then click for an appointment. Come into our hospital, come and make an appointment, not in the ER, but in fact, in the office. So that's why it has to be this C-suite priority. And it really does have to be a cross matrix between marketing, IT, and clinical. That is the exact right way to do it. But it is definitely not to overburden the doctors. Sure. And then what about in terms of Another thing definitely exposed by the pandemic was just the gross inequities just in access and in in care delivery. Is there concern? How do we address those differences in terms of access to information and access to these um, sources in terms of different communities and even the trust within communities? What's the, is there an answer there? Is there, was it basically same thing, but just in different organizations and different points of education? Sure. So again, in, in the advent of AI and the advent of social media and the advent of all this tech, we have an opportunity to bolster trust, right? The healthcare institutions across the country have lost a lot of trust. Tuskegee, Henrietta Lacks, this, these are well-known names, well-known use cases in the black and brown communities. And rightly so, there is a lack of trust. And so consumers are going to the places that they feel they get a relatable message, a reachable message. And that's often not the doctor's office. So how do you as a health system, how do you as a payer, how do you as a, as a life sciences business get that message out there, represent those folks, but also talk to them in a way that makes them curious and then makes it easier for them to come in and see appointment. The ideal relationship is that this is happening outside of the office, but that there is a one-on-one ultimately between doctor and patient. So yes, you want to scale the message. Yes, you want to build mass communication strategies to raise health literacy, but ultimately you also want patients to have an individual plan with an individual doctor and drive those personalized treatment plans. So it's a multi-pronged approach and it is one that is a combination of public health as well as one-on-one healthcare delivery. It's done right. Mm -hmm. And you talked a little bit about the payer and the roles of the other stakeholders in pharma. I mean, I would think also even the pharmacists, the, some of the pharma, you know, pharmacies that have people are going to more and more for their care. I mean, are there, how can we in this, and this has always been my, that you have all of these stakeholders and they all got into healthcare because they care about the health of of the population and about people and they want to improve it, whether it's from a rare disease perspective or from chronic disease, right? And so, but they don't work together very well. And if they could work together better, then- this challenge wouldn't be so hard. So I, yes, the marketing departments in a health system need to work, but, and, and need to do this a bit better. What about the other organizations? How can they collaborate? Are there avenues there and, and paths to even smaller community health organizations? It's, it's one thing for Cleveland Clinic to do it, but as these resources are strained, how, how are some of the ways that those organizations can leverage this? Sure. So if, if whether you're a pharma business, whether you're a life sciences, medtech business, whether you're a payer, everyone benefits when the focus is on the doctor-patient relationship, right? Ultimately, life science companies are trying to get a prescription, prescription filled. Payers are trying to say, look, prevention is the key. Get the mammogram, not breast cancer. Get the colonoscopy, not colon cancer, particularly the value-based care and risk contracting, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? You have to raise health literacy. You have to have more time for the doctor and patient to interact. And what happens now, just very plainly, right? Whether you're seeing your pharmacist, whether you're seeing your doctor, let's say you get started on a new medication, you're given a pamphlet most of the time, a paper pamphlet 
or brochure that's typically already lost when you do your laundry, right? So why is it not a digital tool? Very simply, go here, read here. This is the website for our institution, or these are the three places I want you to read. These are the three people I want you to follow on Twitter, and one of them is my department, right? So these are the places that pharma and, and the painter space can build those tools. And, and often those pamphlets are from those institutions, right? So instead of the pamphlet or in combination with the pamphlet, giving those tools to the provider that then benefit the member, that then benefit the person filling the prescription, right? Because those are not tools doctors don't make. We don't make pamphlets, right? We're typically given those as resources from other stakeholders. So thinking of it the same way. What digital tech tools can you give as a compliment to the pamphlet? Because plenty of people still love pamphlets, right? That's really the key. And, and also understanding that we live primarily in the space of chronic diseases as the biggest cost in the system. And there's often a caregiver that's the sandwich generation. People like you and me with young children, but older family members are taken care of. And often the way we receive information is different from those generations. So having an omni-channel approach is really critical, but there's no reason that pharma couldn't be the one giving those tools to providers. And same with the payers. They're constantly giving us tools, but there's for some reason not a priority on that communication piece and that content piece in this omni-channel way. Right. I like that. And I think the omni-channel uh, method is is essential because obviously that's how we're all, that's how we all exist, right? What, regardless of generation or um, age and, and time. So, but, and then uh, I think with what we talked about a little bit before in terms of trust, once the messages become louder, that trust builds, right? I mean, I find it, it's, I think you've said before that 53% of the, of people trust their physicians, right? I recently went to a, I think it was at ATA, maybe the last time I saw you, the president of CVS talked about how CVS is the most trusted brand. Trust is a very important part of this sort of dichotomy between marketing and patient education, right? And so how can we build that trust and educate folks that this is sort of the move away, move the needle away from anti-science to trusted voices of public health? And I think in some way in the book, you have so many stories of trusted public health and practitioners and that some of them do get amplified, but others aren't. So t tell us a little bit about those stories and, and those folks in there. Look, it, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Science needs a PR campaign, right? right? For some reason, science has become the, the not cool kid in school. And we, we, each one of us has to take it as a mandate. And if you are a celebrity out there partnering with health systems intentionally, partnering with, with some of those folks, it's really critical. But we really actually just have to start. And again, it is a priority and it needs to be. No one at any hospital system, at a life sciences company or at a payer is saying, what's my misinformation strategy, right? There's not really someone in charge of that. And so that's really what I talk about in the book is that if you are doing digital transformation, whatever piece of that, maybe you're the patient engagement piece, maybe you're the EHR piece, maybe you're the value-based care innovation person, this is the undercurrent to all of those pieces. And a big part of it is really making science cool again. And the reason it's not is because it's hard to understand, right? Science is hard and complicated. It is a special talent to be able to simplify complex concepts, whether you're talking about science or even tech for that matter. And in the book, I invited Megan Ring to be a part of it, Peter Hotez. A lot of folks who got us through the pandemic, Sanjay Gupta has endorsed the book, but a lot who also felt the heat, right? Because in one moment you were the hero and the other you were the villain. 
And so we just as a collective, and as we think about public health in the U.S., we do have to raise health literacy. And we also have to realize that everything can't be done by the doctor, to your point, right? Whether it's raising health literacy in our schools, whether it's increasing funding in the public health department and also prioritizing communication. And when it also comes to medical school, right? Training doctors, we spend so much time on, on bedside training, learning at the bedside, clinical learning. This communication piece is fundamentally the last mile. We created groundbreaking vaccines during a once in a lifetime pandemic, I hope. But the hardest part was the communication. The hardest part was the trust. We were not able to get the trust and we were never really able to get it back at the level that we wanted it. Right. And so really the biggest lesson from the pandemic is now what? Right now, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And so it really is more than just in the doctor's office. It's more than in collective zip codes. It really is as we think about the culture of healthcare and in our society, how do we raise health literacy across the board? So people know the difference between a virus, a bacteria, and what a vaccine can and can't do for them. These are basic things way beyond one-on-one -on -one patient care, but it is something that we have to look at collectively. For sure. And I mean, as we see that, I mean, that intersection between public health and politics, right? I mean, there is a lot that happened there, right? I mean, that well, we can't entirely blame the public health poor communication, right? I mean, there was, there is this anti-science political movement that's happening. So how does healthcare play a role in that? How do we combat that? I mean, what is, what, because that is the sort of societal piece that becomes harder. And when you have social media that, whether they are making their efforts to tap it down or not, which debatable, but you know. <laughs> well, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. Mm -hmm. We have to prioritize it. Just like we look at the Surgeon General and it's the trusted source in a crisis. We have to have our Surgeon Generals ready in every zip code, right? The Surgeon General in, in our zip code is this stock, right? And that this provider system. So it's a matter of prioritizing it, realizing the revenue there, realizing there is an ROI on amplifying science and in your absence, which is what we saw during COVID, there will be others who will weaponize it, manipulate it, uh, politicize it. And then who in the end pays for it? The patient and the doctor. Again, who was, in the, who was at the end of the misinformation trail? It is the patient in the emergency room and the doctor dealing with the cleanup and the right. math, right? And it's expensive and it leads to poor outcomes. So it is all connected, but it is a matter of prioritizing Right. That present. And maybe even a little bit to get back to the marketing of a branding issue, right? I mean, that also speaks to kids, let fewer children want to get it. No one's, oh, I want to be a doctor. Like that has shifted that demand. And even as you go into high schools, that interest, everybody wants to go into technology. And there's a lot of technology in healthcare. And as we said, you can even be a healthcare influencer. So <laughs> 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 have to position it a little differently for our for the kids that are coming up, because I think that there is, a, it almost has become, there's such this, now the discussion of burnout, the discussion of sort of vilification of the sort of national figures that were physicians during that time. So to roll that back and to actually sort of elevate them in the eyes of not only children, but everyone. Well, I'm forever an optimist. So I, I would say that I think we are going to turn the page. I think that there is a seismic shift that is happening. Anyone who wants to intern with me, I certainly hope people are still going into STEM, my, my daughter included. And I think we just have to be intentional. Like, like I said, so much of what happened really, I think, left so many of us with a feeling that will be with us the rest of our lives. 
And so the question is really, what are we doing about it? And truly being intentional, truly being thoughtful about how we recruit into STEM careers, being thoughtful to bring girls and women with us as we think about the different biases in tech, particularly when we think about AI, and just not backing down. We're, we're going to be coming up against a presidential election pretty soon, and the priority of healthcare is never going to go away. It will always be a priority. But the question is, how do we do it better? And actually save money, right? These are things that are not expensive. And, and the detriments, if we don't, we, we know the cost. We know the cost. We've seen them both in life as well as in economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that and I think that's uh, really key. And that's a great uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about. We focused a lot on health impact this month. We have a a women in health leadership event this week uh, in um, Long Beach. So as you're looking at that in terms of just women in health IT, you've been one, you started as a physician, but you transitioned and well, not transitioned, but added the technology to your portfolio. Tell us a little bit about what you think are some of the things that are to keep in mind for women in your role, going into the physician role and what healthcare has to offer? Number one, it's about recruiting top talent. The number one, I think nobody wants to be a token. No one wants to be a figurehead. If you are recruiting, you always want top talent. And then in that spirit, you also want to bring a diversified perspective. And remember, women are the caretakers in the home. If there's anyone firing or hiring a doctor, a nursing home, a, a, a medication, right? It's the woman of the household, whether it's the mom taking the kids to the pediatrician or whether it's the mother taking mother and father, right? Grandparents Mm -hmm. to to the doctor's office. Dad may still be bringing the insurance home in most (laughs) cases, but mom is the one interacting with the healthcare space. And if she's not happy with said institution, she's the one in charge of saying, we're going to switch pediatrician. We're going to switch. We're not going to go to this assisted living facility. So being really mindful of that, if that's your business, there is a woman at the end of that. And so Keeping that in mind that it's the right thing to do for your business, understanding that perspective is really key. It is also women that are often the ones dragging the men to the doctor's appointment, right? There's no, my household included, there is no man saying, oh, I think I should really go for my annual, right? It's like, yeah, honey, your appointment's on Wednesday, 8 a.m., clear your schedule. <laughs> I expect you there, right? right? So this is the reality. It's good for business. I'm a big believer in it's good for business and top talent. Hiring tokens is not good for anyone. It never works. And no one wants to be a token. There are plenty of talented women out there. Anyone who needs a name or a nomination, they're all my friends. They're all my (laughs) colleagues. We are abundant in health staff, but it is a matter of being intentional because it is very easy to fill a boardroom with all men. They also tend to to be very good at communication and education. That's right. I (laughs) like that. Go, Megan. (laughs) Often the the healthcare educator within not only their own house, but their surrounding families and houses, right? That's exactly right. For sure. Well, what in terms of just leaving with us a few words about the book and about kind of the next couple of months for you, I'm sure you're going to be going on quite the tour to get it out there, but tell us a little bit, just leave us with a few words on what you want to take us before we all, and when does the book come out, right? Because it's not so the book is not the preview. Book is book is live on Amazon and then physically out October 17th, but you can start pre-orders now. I awesome. certainly hope that you do. It's called Dead Wrong and it is a post-pandemic book focusing on myths and disinformation in healthcare. It's full of beautiful stories from everyone, from Megan Rainey and Peter Hotez to Anish Chopra. That's in Jane, Glenn Tolman. We really brought out different perspectives from the industry to drive home data points 
but it's really meant to inspire. It's meant to be a call to action in the era of AI and the era of TikTok. And this priority needs to happen. If you are working on digital transformation, if you're working on value-based care, if you're in charge of how your organization is going to be using artificial intelligence, myths and disinformation has to be hit on by your strategy. And hopefully this book inspires you and, and puts together what we think is a great solve for that, but certainly don't pretend to have all the answers. Well, thank you. I bet you have very, a lot of answers in there and I can't <laughs> wait to read the whole thing. And I thank look you. forward to talking to you again soon. We will, and maybe with some other the folks in the book. And thanks again, Dr. G. We'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Be well. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.